Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, everybody. Glad you could be with us this morning. We're going to be looking uh, in the book of Luke today at the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. So I'd invite you to uh, find that in Luke chapter 11. You're probably familiar with the book, uh, Green Eggs and Ham. And uh, back in 1959, a publisher bet Dr. Seuss he couldn't write a book with using less than 49 words. And when I read this, I thought, gee, is that only 49 words in the whole book, Green Eggs and Ham? Well, no, he used 49 different words. Uh, so Glenda read it to me on the way over. But all I can remember is I do not like green eggs and ham, not in a box with a fox, not in a house with a mouse, not anywhere. Da 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 da. da. Um, so I was thinking about the whole idea of yeah, writing a book using 49 words and the whole idea of less words, right? So um, the Lord's Prayer doesn't have very many words in it. If you read it in uh, Matthew, in uh, this ESV Bible that I'm using, 52 words. If you read it in Luke 11, and you might notice that if you've read Matthew 6 and then Luke 11, uh, Luke 11 only has uh, 35 words. The Ten Commandments, less than 150 words. We looked at a COVID doc from the Nova Scotia government a couple weeks ago in a church meeting and had 3,000 words. Um, government loves words. Uh, there was a government document uh, on the price of cabbage, 26,000 words. Uh, you know, I mean, some people just need a lot of words to say, not much. So the whole idea of this Lord's Prayer, the idea of brevity came to mind when I was reading it. Uh, words that have impact, uh, long-winded is not necessarily a value. Um, you know, speaking the right words with the right heart is really what matters when it comes to prayer. And then, of course, maybe it matters when it comes to sermons. So you might expect a short sermon today, or you might not. I counted it, 1,400 words, but that's just what's on the paper. It's not what's going to come out of here. It's going to be probably more than that. But anyway, we want to read uh, Luke 4, uh, the first, uh, Luke 11, first four verses. I'll read, and you could uh, follow along. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let's just uh, pause for a word of prayer that we would ask God to bless his word. Father, we're grateful today to be able to open up the scriptures and certainly, Lord, this is one of the, the great topics of Scripture, the whole idea of prayer and, and how to pray. And, Lord, it, it's my prayer uh, that we would all be teachable today, uh, that we would all pray, Lord, teach us to pray, teach me to pray, uh, to pray better, to pray more effectively, to pray more biblically. We ask for your blessing, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a few observations that you can make when you look at Luke 11. One thing that I'm reminded of is that where's the missing words from Matthew 6, which is probably the more uh, familiar version. So Matthew 6 says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's kind of important. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For yourselves, forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then in the, some versions, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's sort of my memories of the Lord's Prayer. So this is kind of a brief version. And it's a bit of a different setting. Matthew 6, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he's speaking to a, a, uh, his disciples, but more of them. Here, it's kind of a personal conversation. It's a different setting. It's a response to a question of, uh, of one of the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. So you have this 35 or so word prayer, and then millions of books 
have been written on prayer. I've got all kinds of books on prayer, and, and uh, I come up with, uh, I found this one uh, years ago. I think it was written in response to the prayer of Jabez. You might remember that from 20 years ago. This is called The Prayer of Jesus by Hank Hanegraaff. Really good book on prayer. Um, if you're going to pick up a book on prayer, I, I'd recommend that one. One of the, some of the things he says, uh, prayer is not a magic formula to get things from God. Um, some people think it is, you know. Uh, it's kind of a, some magic. We pray and God gives us what we want. Um, prayer is not to impress other people. Uh, and prayer is not even to impress God. You don't need to impress God because you really can't impress God. Prayer does not maintain the Christian life. Prayer is the Christian life. And you may think, well, the Christian life is, you know, it's this or that. But the essential part of the Christian life is communicating with God. Like that's really what it boils down to. And it's not about getting things from God. Communing with God is the prize of prayer. So he's got a lot of good things to say in there. Um, so let's just kind of take it apart and look at, uh, at some of the things that are in this prayer. First thing is, uh, Lord, teach us to pray. And I'm thinking, what do you mean? They didn't know how to pray? They were Jews. Uh, Jewish people shouldn't know how to pray. You know, it's been probably months after they heard Matthew 6. You know, didn't they kind of understand? And I think it tells us something that spiritual praying is not intuitive. Yeah, yeah we might have a need to pray and we automatically even if you're an, an atheist there's going to be times in your life when you're going to pray because you're going to be in trouble and so it's kind of intuitive to look up and to reach out to somebody but spiritual praying is not intuitive uh, one thing that jesus said you know it's not a mindless ritual and unfortunately for a lot of praying i think that's what it boils down to you know why do we need to learn to pray well, it says in Revelation 3.17, we're wretched, poor, miserable, blind, and naked. Did you know that? Spiritually speaking, without God, we have zero to offer. We are corrupted to the core uh, in a spiritual manner. So we need God because God is holy and God is the almighty. He is the opposite of what we are. And so we need him. And uh, sometimes we don't uh, understand that. Uh, if you look back in, in Matthew 6, I'm going to flip back and forth a bit. Matthew 6, verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So Jesus is saying, don't pray like people who don't know God. Um, don't be worried about necessities. If you read on in Matthew 6, he tells them to stop worrying about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, and what they're going to do. Just don't worry about those things. Well, that tends to be what we worry about and what we perhaps try to pray uh, a lot about. Um, perhaps you hear, think that if I just keep praying more words that God's going to, you know, he's going to hear me and, and it's going to make a, a, more of a difference. And... Um, Sometimes in churches, um, people pray this prayer word for word as though it's a mantra and uh, it's somehow the formula for, for prayer. And it's really not like that at all. That's not what Jesus is trying to teach us here. So I guess one of the questions I would have, uh, one of the questions that it came to, to me in preparation of this is like, are you satisfied with your prayer life? And I am not. I've been a Christian a long time and uh, I always feel like I come up short when it comes to prayer. So my prayer uh, for you and for me today is, Lord, teach me to pray. I, I think that's something that, that I need as much as anybody. So brevity, brief. There's a kind of a concept here that uh, I think is important. 35 words, Jesus is just boiling it down to the essentials. Uh, what does that mean? Well. It reminds me of some other scriptures. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5, it says, um, Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So that's kind of important. You know, there's uh, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a time to speak and a time to keep silent. There's a way that we're supposed to approach God that means that it's not supposed to be about being verbose and overloading God with words. 
of, of approaching him with reverence and a sense of, wow, I'm poor, miserable, wretched, blind, and naked, and God is the Almighty in the throne of heaven, and I need to respect that. There needs to be a reverence there that uh, makes me think about what I'm going to say. Now, there's a few examples of that, of about praying and, and, and God answering. One of uh, my favorites is from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 3. And Moses is leading the people through the promised land, and you get to Deuteronomy. He only about 40 years wandering the wilderness. The, the promised land is next door. It's just over the next mountain. They're ready to go in, and he's giving them the final uh, instructions. And uh, he wants to go. He wants to go over the Jordan. He's been, you know, this has been his 40-year journey. He's been leading this nation. And he says in verse 23, I pleaded with the Lord at that time. He's referring back to a time back in, in Numbers. Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan. Moses, he's 120 years old. He's been faithful to God. He said, Lord, because the Lord told him, you're not going over. And one more time, he's pleading, and he says, um, the Lord was angry with me because of you. <laughs> Moses got impatient with his people, and, and uh, he smashed the rock and, uh, uh, instead of speaking to it. And this is what God said in answer to Moses' prayer. Enough from you. <laughs> Do not speak to me of this matter again. Wow. Well, Moses couldn't impress God. How am I going to impress God? I mean, sometimes that's what it is. I don't know how many times Moses pleaded, but likely more than once because this was really important to him. And the Lord said, no, you're not going over, but I'll let you stand on the mountain and look over. Well, that just seems kind of harsh to me, but God's a, <laughs> God's a black and white God in a lot of ways. And he told Moses, you dishonored me before them. And so uh, I'm not going to give you what you are asking for. Well, that's kind of repeated in the New Testament. Paul. I mean, who's closer to God than Paul? Like Paul's just like, he's so godly and he's so like Christ and he's, his heart is so right. And it says here, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 12 verse 7, to keep me from being conceited. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he had, he had spoken with the Lord in the desert. He had seen all kinds of things. He was taken up into heaven and saw things he wasn't allowed to, to utter. A messenger of Satan, uh, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So he had some kind of torment, possibly a physical torment. Every time he thought about how great he was, ugh, he'd get a jab maybe, and he would realize he's not so great and he's not so strong. And he said to me, Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul, I'm going to keep you weak. Now, I don't think Paul pled one more time. I don't think he went, oh, Lord, today. Oh, Lord, tomorrow. Uh, I think he just got the message three times. That's, that's all I'm going to ask. I think he was probably reminded about Moses' prayer. And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to do that for you because I'm doing something else. Well, that teaches me uh, because uh, sometimes we just go on and on and on about the same thing to God as though God hasn't heard us yet or uh, just needs to be impressed. And we need to rethink all that. So then you have that on the one side. And on the other side, you have this uh, admonition from Second Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. So, you know, I think there's, there's, some, there's some wisdom there. I, I believe it means that the Christian life, the Christian walk, is sort of like an ongoing conversation with God. So my favorite place to pray is when I walk. And I'm out on the road, and I'm just jabbering away, and, and I'm talking to God, and sometimes I'm just thinking, and I'm, sometimes I'm just listening to the birds. And, but it, it's so natural. I, I don't feel that I have to be on my knees with my eyes closed. As a matter of fact, I love having my eyes open, and, and, and I just pour my heart out to God. And often I'll go on a walk and I'll, if I have a burden when I go on the walk, on the way back I feel better because I've kind of brought it to the Lord. 
So we're going to look at the, some of the other words in the prayer, but there's a, uh, something that we need to catch when we, when we look at this, and it's the order, okay? And quite often, uh, you know, it's like sitting at the table. Uh, you remind your children to, to give thanks because, you know, I used to tell the kids, well, the dogs, yeah, they just dive right in. But we're not dogs. We, we pray first. We give thanks first because we need to direct our hearts toward God whenever we can. So the order of prayer is uh, God and his glory first. God comes first, and that means a mindful reverence, like not just a, you know, God, you're, you're so wonderful, and you, you know, can't wait to get to the food. There's a mindful reverence for God. Like, we're really engaged with what we're doing. And there's a couple other things. There's a biblical way to pray, to ask for what you need, and then it's all couched with a plurality of words. It's all about us. It's not about praying for myself every pronoun in here is about us or a plural pronoun so when you pray say father so you know a real person in heaven not some immovable object or some kind of cosmic force but a real person in heaven a real person who can relate to us because you know he's sort of like this or sort of like us we're sort of like him we're made in his image he communicates he thinks he feels he plans he purposes he decides he uh, likes conversation he made us to communicate and so uh, he's a real person in heaven. And I think it begs the question, what do we really believe about God? Is God really our father? We sing a song a lot uh, in, in worship, uh, the good, good father. Is that who he is to you? Or is he kind of an unyielding, unbending, kind of mean-spirited father uh, you know we all bring kind of our own images of god into the forte we we all have this sort of image of what god is like and god said you shall have no other gods or images before me we need an image of the real god the god of the bible so what do we really believe about god you know one of the things that jesus said uh in matthew um Matthew 6, after he said, you know, don't uh, heap up empty phrases, verse 8, do not be like them, the unbelievers, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, that's got to be true, right? He's got to know. He's got to know when we pray tomorrow morning or whenever we pray tomorrow, he's going to know already what we're going to say. He already knows what it is that's on our hearts. So why bother praying at all? Why would we want to pray at all? Well, it gets to this whole point of the Lord's Prayer. It's not about asking requests. It's about pursuing a relationship. It's about communing with God. It's about relating to God. And, and so, uh, yeah, God knows what we need, but uh, we, he wants to hear from us. It's very much like you as parents, you want your children to come to you. Yeah, you could just give them everything and because and, you know what they need, but you want them to come and jump up on your lap and ask you, you know, Daddy, uh, Daddy, will you do this? Or Mommy, will you do this? You know, to come freely without reservation, that's the best part about being a parent is your parents coming to you and, and, or your children coming to you and, and asking you for something that you long to give them. And there's an expression of love that they, they love you enough to come and ask and, and, and you love them enough to, uh, it's like Andy loved his daughter enough. Uh, she cried when he cut his beard and uh, he loved her enough to grow his beard back. It's like, that's what dads love to do is, is uh, meet their, their children's, uh, their needs. Um, so does prayer matter? Well, of course it matters. But if God is already knowing what he's gonna do, you know, does it matter if I pray? Well, I heard it explained like this. God's already kind of sketched out the main parts. He's already uh, predestined a lot of things. He's put a horizon around your life and around who you are and around your community. And he's decided a lot of things. And in the midst of that are things that he can be persuaded on. And I don't know that I fully understand that, but I, I believe it's true that we can have a role in prayer that can affect outcomes. Maybe not on a grand scale. Like people might pray, Lord, heal all the people with cancer. Well, there's just not a lot of biblical uh, uh, support for praying like that. 
It would be far better if we would say when we know somebody was cancer, Lord, please help them endure this cancer. Please help them come to, to know you or to find you. Uh, or if they, they know Christ, to, to just be able to grow and, and, and mature rather than just be so concentrated on the disease. Because, and I mean, not that you can't pray for people's healing, but God's doing a whole lot more than just that. He really wants to work in people's lives. So yeah, prayer matters, and we have a part in it. Um, in uh, Hank Hanegraaff's book, he talks about ACTS, which is an acronym that we often use to describe what prayer should be. A, adoration, C, confession, T, thanksgiving, S, supplication. Kind of a good order to keep in mind when we're praying so that God will be first and will be last. That's really the right order. But he said what he prefers to call it is facts, to put an F in front of the acts uh, to stand for faith. And, and the reason is that really without real faith, prayer is really pretty empty. It really doesn't uh, go anywhere. And he's talking about supernatural faith, uh, a faith that's the gift of God. It says in Ephesians 2.8, you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not only is the grace a gift of God, but really the faith is the gift of God. The faith is a supernatural faith. Uh, we often call it saving faith. It's sort of like the light comes on and you, you are believing the gospel and you're born again by the gospel. That is saving faith. That is supernatural faith. That's something that God births in our hearts. And that's different than the human capacity to just believe something. Like a lot of people believe in evolution. They have a faith, uh, a human capacity to believe in something that's outside themselves and they have to accept by faith. But that's not the same faith that uh, is the vital faith that connects us to God. The faith that comes when the, when the light's turned on. So I, I have a quote uh, by R.A. Torrey that I, I come out of the Hanegraaff's book. And it's really, it's really insightful. It's actually, it's just so essential to grasp this if we're really going to understand what it means to relate to God at all. So here's the quote. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It says so in Romans uh, 10, verse 11. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. To pray the prayer of faith, we must first of all study the word of God, especially the promises of God, and find out what the will of God is. We need to come to know God. God speaks through his word contained in the 66 books of our Bibles. That's how God speaks. Now, he also speaks through nature, and he can speak to people's hearts, but he primarily speaks through his word. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Supernatural faith arises out of the word of God. That's the work that the Holy Spirit does. And Tory goes on to say this. Ari Tory was an old, uh, uh, famous preacher from over 100 years ago. We cannot believe by just trying to make ourselves believe. Such belief is not faith, but credulity or make-believe. You don't want that kind of faith when it comes to God. And sometimes when people uh, destruct in the Christian life and just uh, implode and their lives uh, uh, can't withstand the trials and circumstances that come at them, it's probably because they perhaps don't have the real kind of faith. They certainly uh, don't have that sense that, um, you know, a lot of times when people get overwhelmed, it's because they're just kind of on their own. Not that, you know, as a believer, you can't be overwhelmed, but um, God usually brings real Christians around, I think. Um, and, and if you were able to uh, successfully withstand a major serious trial in your life, it's going to be God who helps you withstand it, not yourself. And so that's why vital faith is so important. So um, ask yourself, teach me to pray, Lord, well, what kind of habit do you have when it comes to the Bible? 
And I, I fear that it's sometimes it's not enough. It's not enough to feed us uh, or make us grow. Uh, uh, we have the pleasure of having uh, Reuben and Natalie come this week. Uh, they're going to work at the lavender farm and stay with us. And boy, that Reuben can put food away. You know, he's like, I don't know, he's, he's like six foot something, and he's, he just looks like he grows every time I see him, and, and uh, he just can't fill him up. And, and that's, that's what our hearts should be like when it comes to prayer. Lord, teach me to pray. It, it should give us a desire for the Word. We should fill up on the Word so that we would grow, so our spirit would grow and our capacity to trust God would grow. And, you know, if you admire somebody's faith, maybe you should ask them, what their habit is when it comes to the Word of God, because I'm sure there's going to be a correlation. Father, all that about Father. We're going to be a while here. We only got the Father. We said all that. But I, you know, I can't help it. Uh, that's just uh, how it is. So, hallowed be your name. Um, his name is holy, right? We, we sing that and we know that. His name is holy. Holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So his name is already holy, but hallowed be your name is a, is a way of saying, Lord, help me regard your name as holy. That your name would be holy to me. Um, there's a, uh, expressions in the Bible about the eyes of the Lord. Um, the eyes of the Lord are watching over the evil and the good. Um, Psalm 33, uh, verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Uh, Revelation 1 talks about the eyes of Jesus blazing with fire. And um, we need to have that sense, that not that God's watching you know, ready to jump on us when we step out of line. But just the sense that he is completely aware of everything that we are and everything that happens to us and every thought and intent and desire we have, it's completely open to him. We are an open book to God. Wow, that's, <laughs> you gads, that's something else. Um, you know, we're not necessarily an open book to people that know us. And, there's a, and we protect ourselves. We just go, you can, you know, you're not getting that close that you're going to not know everything about me because there's things that we're embarrassed about or that we don't like about ourselves or how we think. Well, listen, folks, God knows it all. Our hearts are wide open to him and that ought to produce a sense of awe that, wow, I'm even allowed to be alive and be the way I am inside in front of a holy God. It makes me want to get on my knees and worship him because he's holy and I am not. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. God's got a kingdom. He's building a kingdom. Uh, one day the kingdom will come to its fruition when Jesus returns. And the Bible says that Jesus will set up God's kingdom on earth and he will rule from the throne of David in Jerusalem. And that's the the kingdom will be visible and there's going to be a lot of trouble before that happens. But when we pray your kingdom come, so we're thinking of that, but it's also God's kingdom in here. You know, in the Old Testament, God lived in a temple and they went up to the temple and they offered sacrifices uh, and he res his spirit resided in the temple. Well, in the New Testament, God resides in here, in your heart. When you put your trust in the Lord, uh, and you become born again and the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, God makes you a temple. I don't think about that enough. Uh, sometimes I, I have to remind myself that the Spirit of God lives in me. It's almost like, how could the Spirit of God live in me? I'm not holy. I'm not worthy. Well, I, I'm made holy because of what Jesus did. God doesn't accept me because of me. He accepts me because I put my trust in Jesus Christ, whom he accepts 100%, that Jesus is 100% holy. That gives me a new uh, awareness of God's uh, authority in my life. So your kingdom come as Lord, expand your kingdom in me. Expand your rule over me because I can be an unruly kingdom. I can be wild kingdom. I can be uh, irrational kingdom and I can be despairing kingdom, but I want to be the kingdom of God. And so Lord, fill me with your kingdom. And God is also advancing his kingdom in the world. So uh, 
part of this idea of praying your kingdom come is, Lord, I need to be involved in advancing your kingdom, of going out and, 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 and spreading uh, the good news of Christ. Uh, because uh, if he's the king, I'm the servant, and uh, I need to serve him. Now, Luke doesn't include your will be done, but uh, it's just kind of automatic to me. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It sort of just goes together. Um, the will of God is a mystery, isn't it? When we were um, traveling through the States on our, our trip a couple of years ago, and we ended up meeting um, Glenda's sister and Danny, uh, her, her husband, and uh, their niece, or their daughter, Laura, or Glenda's niece, uh, in Florida. We spent a week with them camping, and we were talking about dreams, and like Laura's in her early 40s, and I said, what's your dream? And uh, we talked about that, and she asked me what my dream was, and I said, well, this trip was sort of a dream, but then I got really thinking about it. I need a new dream. What's my dream? And your dream is sort of the, the big thing in life that you're, you're looking forward to next. And so I thought about it a lot, and then I started praying my dream. And I, I kind of articulated it in my head, and, and I, I um, said, Lord, this is my dream, that my daughter and her husband, Allie, will move home, and I'll be a grandfather. And they'll move up the road from us. That's my dream. Now, she didn't have much intention of moving in our neighborhood, um, she likes Halifax, and that's where she was going to go. And um, uh, so they got married uh, earlier this year, and um, um, they bought land last summer, just up the road from us, like, you know, 10 minutes up the road, beautiful piece of land. And I'm thinking, man, the dream is coming true. And uh, so on uh, Father's Day, um, the 21st of June, uh, our daughter Jenny was born on the 20th. So the 20th is always a difficult day for us. So on the 21st, Allie said, well, let's do a FaceTime on, in the morning. And she said, and she sent a couple of gifts to us. And, and um, so she said, uh, we got on the computer and we're looking at one. And she said, well, why don't you open your gifts? So I had one and, and Glenn had one. I'm peeling off the paper and she's peeling off the paper. And this one said, Grampy's Garage. And Glenda said, Grampy's Kitchen. And we're kind of looking at one another, and it didn't take long because we're, we're slow, but we're not that slow. About three seconds, we knew right away, this girl's going to have a baby. <laughs> and I said, what a great Father's Day present. And then last uh, Friday, she sent us a picture of the ultrasound, you know, like the three-month or so ultrasound, the little, the little head and the little body. And God's answered my dream. He's the good father. He loves to give us good things. Your will be done. The purpose of praying, your will be done. It's not to pressure God to provide. I'd learned long, learned enough over the years that I'm not going to pester and whine to God to fulfill my dream. I'm just going to tell it to him. Just as naturally as if my, I was a boy and my dad was here. And just tell him what was on my heart without, you know, kind of trying to pressure him or impress him. Uh, and, and that's kind of how it goes with First John 1, 14. Uh, you know, we talk about the will of God and praying the will of God. This is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I don't know what God's will was. Allie wanted to move to Halifax. I said, well, as long as you're in the province, I'd be happy. But, um, you know, God has got ways of doing things. And so his will is what matters. He's the one who's sovereign. He's the one who's in control. And if you can surrender to his will, that's where you get peace. If you're always worried about stuff and, you know, this is going to happen or what if this happens or this isn't happening, you're not going to have the peace that God wants you to have. But surrendering to his will and just presenting your request and just kind of going, okay, God, uh, you know, here it is. Uh, your will be done. Give us each day our daily bread. So now it gets personal. You're asking things for yourself. Um, the whole idea of bread is bread encompasses all we need uh, for the sustenance of life. So it's the whole idea of 
just give us what we need. Now, you could go on and pray for gas and, and, and high-speed internet and, and you know, uh, Doritos and all the little things that you need. But if you just went to the Lord and said, Lord, would you give us today what we need? Well, he kind of understands what that is. And so I don't think we need to go on and on about it. Um, you know, there's a... Uh, uh, prayer in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9. Like, Lord, you know, give me enough that I don't have to steal, but don't give me too much that I, you know, goes to my head. That kind of idea. Um, I think it's about being less mindful of what we want because we want a lot. <laughs> I believe prayer is asking. You know, that's what prayer is it's asking, it's communicating. But uh, for me, I tend to be covetous. And I just want, want, want. There's a part of me that just wants, wants, wants. And I need the discipline of wanting less and bringing that to the Lord. There's another proverb that says, you know, when you come into the presence of the king, you know, just don't eat everything on the table. Just don't dive into all the delicacies and stuff your face in the presence of the king. Why? Because that's disrespectful. You know, just kind of hang back and, you know, uh, I think we should have that same reverence for God. Uh, forgive us our sins. This is kind of, here's a qualifier. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Um, forgiveness and fellowship with God is contingent on our willingness to forgive other people. That's what it is. If we harbor grudges and, and unforgiveness, it's not like the Lord's going to unforgive us or we're going to lose our salvation, uh, but what it means is that God will be distant from us. If we're going to harbor unforgiveness in our hearts, it kind of pushes God out because God is a forgiving God and he wants us to have a forgiving attitude. Man, I, that's not easy. You know, sometimes it's easy to forgive people and sometimes it's the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. Lead us not into temptation. We have a great need to stay away from temptation. I read the other day in, in Psalm um, 31. Verse 4, you take me out of the net they have hidden for me. I was reading in the NIV, it said, free me from the trap they have set for me. Who's setting a trap for you? Well, maybe not people you know, but I know the evil one is setting traps for you. He wants to make you stumble. He wants to make you fall. And we need to be aware of that so that when uh, something really enticing comes along, we'll go, hey, that could be a trap. <laughs> that could be a temptation. We need to pray for protection. I heard somebody explain it like this. You know, God's at my right hand. David said, the Lord's at my right hand. What does that mean? Well, if, if uh, God's at my right hand, then you know, he's here and I'm here. Uh, so I'm at his left hand and the picture of a warrior in the Bible is that the sword is in the right hand and the shield is in the left hand so God's got his shield over me and that's the sense of God being at my right hand I'm being protected by his shield I kind of like that visual uh, that image um, he's protecting us from uh, temptation there's a, a line in a song I, I really love this song Give Thanks for a Broken Heart by Martin Smith. Uh, you never fight, you just defend because you are not an ordinary friend. That's what God does. He defends us. He doesn't fight with us. He defends us. Now, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, right? To be tested. And God uses the devil to test people. So that's going to happen. He's going to do it. He's going to let the devil sift us once in a while. We need to be ready because we can get caught off guard and not be mindful of what God's trying to do in our life and um, we can get carved up. But most of the time we're led away into temptation by our own lusts. That's what James teaches us. So this whole idea of uh, this sermon series we've been uh, engaged in upside down, you know, how does... How does Jesus turn prayer upside down? Well, it's just getting away from maybe the things that we think prayer is all about and getting to the heart of prayer. So first of all, prayer is not a posture. Now, you can pray 
with your arms up and your eyes open. Uh, you can pray falling on your knees, and a lot of times it's going to depend on, you know, what's going on. Um, prayer is not a ritual. Now, you know, I pray every morning, and I pray every time I walk, but I don't look at it as a ritual, like, you know, say, 10 Our Fathers and 8 Hail Marys. Like, that's not prayer. That's a ritual. Um, Prayer is not a mantra that I got to repeat those words and get it right because that's the formula for getting something for God. Prayer is not those things. Prayer is engaged. My head needs to be engaged in my conversation. You know how it is when you're talking with somebody and they're not engaged with you? You know, you're saying something, they're already thinking of what they're going to say next. And, you know, it's just, there's no real communication going on. That's not what prayer, prayer has got to be engaged. I got to be thinking about who I'm talking to. Prayer is secret. The secret to prayer is secret prayer. Prayer is to be done in secret. I mean, sometimes we pray in public and we pray openly, but it's between you and the Lord. Get in your closet. Get on your bicycle. Go walk on the beach. Wherever you can get alone is where you should pray. Uh, and prayer is relational. It's about my relationship with the Lord. Sometimes people say we need to listen for God in prayer. I need to hear God speak. Uh, I would hope that what they mean is that primarily God speaks through this. I don't trust my own thoughts. Now, there's been a time or two when God has impressed on me something that uh, he wants me to do. But I don't just interpret my own thoughts when I'm praying. Oh, that's the thoughts of God. I'm pretty guarded about that. I find other ways to test and see what, if, is it lined up with his word? If I have, do I ask people what they think about this? Um, rather than, I think a lot of times uh, people say, God, you know, spoke to me. And well, you spoke to yourself. <laughs> You got to be careful about that. The heart is deceitful above all else. So anyway, um, that's a lot to say about uh, 35 words, isn't it? But I didn't want to let you down. Um, but now persistence. How does persistence come in? You got brevity on the one hand, you know, and, and then you get these parables of persistence. So let's uh, read the first one, um, Luke 11, 5 through uh, 13. He said to them, so he's given an illustration of prayer after he gives them a really short uh, teaching. Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And that's kind of the Middle East, you know, like everybody... People didn't have their own bedrooms back then. Everybody was in the same bed. That'd be crazy. Um, so you got, you know, he's in bed with his family and his kids and leave me alone. It's midnight for heaven's sake. Go home. I tell you though, he, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Because the, the whole idea is here, I got people showed up at my door and I don't have anything for them. And it's important for a host in those days to be, show hospitality. These people are on a long journey and they showed up at midnight. I don't have any bread. Hey, buddy, give me some bread. No, go home. Quit bothering me. You don't understand. And, and the idea is if you didn't show hospitality, that's a shameful thing. So, you know, the guy's trying to feed his visitors and he doesn't want to be ashamed because he can't give them anything. And so the, he just keeps bugging the guy, and the guy gets out of bed and gives him what he needs. Verse 9, I tell you, Jesus said, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of fish give him a serpent? Well, you would never do that. Maybe if you were a jokester, you might, but now nah, you should never do that. Maybe do it with your wife, you know. Uh, if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? Of course not. Your kid comes to you and asks you for something good, you're going to give him something good. If you then, who are evil, poor, miserable, wretched, blind, and naked, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants to give good things. So here's the, the, the main points of this prayer. Pray for what matters. You know, sometimes we pray that, you know, God would heal sickness. We ought to be praying about attitudes 
And we ought to pray about attributes. We should pray for the food that endures wisdom and patience and purity and courage. We need to be persistent about those things. You know, this guy prayed because he didn't want to be ashamed. That's a good thing to pray about. You should pray so you won't be ashamed. And what we should pray for is the things that God wants to give us through the Holy Spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we don't persist in prayer to twist God's arm. God's got a really thick arm. Like it's stout. It's monstrous. You can no more twist the arm of God than uh, anything. That's not what this is about. This is about going to a father who longs to give what is good to people who have a real need. Uh, Jesus persisted in prayer. Uh, it said he prayed all night when he was going to pick his disciples. Uh, when he was praying in the garden, he, was, he prayed for an hour and he said to his disciples, what, you can't even last an hour? So there's times when you, serious need begets long prayer. And, you know, I also think that the Holy Spirit motivates us to pray. I, I don't necessarily believe that's the will of God that, you know, you need to pray three hours a day. I mean, maybe it adds up to that if you're talking to God all day long, but uh, there's times, though, when you really need to pray, and, and you, you get reminded, you get convicted about praying for somebody. Somebody or some circumstance will come flooding through your mind, and you need to be sensitive to that, that you pray, because maybe there's a real need going on. Um, it's sort of like, you know, three months ago today, right? Three months ago today, there was a mass shooting in, in this neighborhood, and... Uh, were we not moved to pray by that? My gosh, I haven't stopped praying about that. I'm, you know, we're still kind of dumbstruck by all that. And, and you know, when, when it comes to grief, these poor people, um, it's just starting. They're just getting going with this grief journey. And we need to pray. It, it, those kind of things move us to pray. We're just going to finish up with a, a quick look at, um, at Luke 18. The parable of the persistent widow. And basically, um, I'll just read quickly. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And I almost reminds you of the, the, the families who uh, lost all those uh, loved ones in this mass shooting trying to get the government to, to do an inquiry. And uh, they want justice. And they can't really get justice because the guy is already gone. They can't take him to court, but they can get some sense of justice to find out what happened. And that's, that's big. Like, that's serious stuff. Uh, it, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of need there. And, you know, the judge, like, it's like the, you know, the government leaves. Eventually, they'll break down. and they get hounded enough, they'll break down. That's kind of how we operate. And uh, then Jesus says this. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Okay. Then he says this, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So Jesus is saying, this unjust judge, he just finally got wore down enough that he finally, you know, relented. God is not like that. God is not like the unjust judge. God uh, delights to give justice. Now, it is normal to lose heart, and uh, it may seem that God is silent or absent or doesn't answer, but that's not true. God wants to answer uh, these prayers. So it says you'll give justice speedily. Well, we need to remember something. God has got a whole <laughs> different way of looking at time than we do. To us, speedily means tomorrow. I want to know today. I want an answer this month. I only got 30 days. Like we, we put time constraints on things. God does something quite different than that. And uh, quite often, you know, if you want justice in modern court system, you need to be prepared to wait years. And so you might as well resign yourself to that. 
and we might as well resign ourselves to letting God be sovereign and, and in control so that we don't get all wound up over things we can't control. Because this whole uh, point of praying is that we bring our requests to a good father and we say, Lord, you are sovereign and you are God. I am giving this to you to take care of. Would you take care of this? And then being content to let God be God. As I'll tell you, quite often, we want to be God. And we want what we want. Um, I'm just going to finish with a story. Um, many of you know the name Joni Erickson. Um, she's been a uh, Christian writer and speaker for 50 years. When she was a young girl, probably about 18 or so, she uh, dove into a swimming pool and hit her head and became a quadriplegic. Beautiful girl, about 18 years old, quadriplegic. And so uh, uh, she became well-known, and um, uh, people would be praying for her, for her healing, and she would imagine herself, she said, being by the pool of Bethsaida that, you know, you read about in, in, the, in the Gospels where, you know, the people would go to get healed. And she would imagine herself by the pool of Bethsaida and say, Lord, would you heal me? Please heal me. And she prayed over and over and over again. And people, people all over North America were praying for this girl because she was well known. And then over the years, she wrote books and she spoke and, and God just used her in, in a powerful way to, to you know, as an example of what it meant to be a, a godly woman who could suffer and not have her prayer answered and yet love God. And so the day came when her husband and her went to Jerusalem and he pushed her down the Via Della Rosa in her wheelchair and she came to the pool of Bethsaida and it just dawned on her. And this is what she prayed, God, thank you for not healing me because she would have missed all those years of blessing and influence and usefulness to God. God knew what he was doing when he never answered her prayer. And I pray that we would have that kind of attitude toward God. He knows what he's doing. He's in control. He's sovereign. And so maybe our prayer needs to be, Lord, teach me to pray to you.